Super Bowl, please, and step on it. Let's go. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody here. It is the Sports Cubicle. I have a big, and oh my God, Paul. What? You dump truck fat McFat. I can't say this word, you fat ass eating all of our food. Well, the cookies, they're so delicious and all the Super Bowl spread here. Uh, You guys shouldn't have uh, left it uh, unattended. You're the one who never left the table. It's it's where the food was. Yeah, and we're waiting for Paul. Next thing you know, my goodness, the rat. There's just a tail. I know Marver likes tails. Oh, me and Mercado. You know, I got two whole buckets of fried rat, and I don't even see one bucket of fried rat. You fat, make fat, fat ass dump truck job of the hut, mother. I can't. I'll stop. This is a family show. Yeah, and you ate all the family meals. Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, it's uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Of course, last week was our preview, so we're not going to be talking too much about the Super Bowl because it's going on right now if you're listening. Uh, But I will give you right now, Devin, if you want to guess, my top five Super Bowl halftime shows. Can you guess? Uh, The Baby Back Ribs, the McChicken, the Sports Cubicle Dip. Marver's it's not artist. food. I'm talking about the past halftime shows. Which ones are my? I favorites? just think food is on your mind. <laughs> oh no! Is it Michael Jackson? Is yes, it, Michael Jackson was too. Is it uh, Snoop Dogg? Uh, yep, that was number four. I'm trying to think who else has been there. Prince. Yep, number one. Uh, the Who? No. Rolling Stones? Nope. Oh, who's in the '85 that like performance group? Oh, the '80, the '85 uh, Super Bowl. Yeah, that was, it was like hands across America, you, or up with like people. That. No, uh, so I had Bruno Mars at number three and Beyonce at number five. No, I'm, uh, I can't. But it was all arbitrary. This is uh, my opinion on what I think is the best one. But uh, in this episode, Mercado and I talked to a pair of table tennis brothers, uh, players that are brothers that are going off to the World Championships. The Naresh brothers, Sid and Nanda Naresh, we sit down and chat with them, as well as everybody reacts on the Sports Cubicle to three Chicago Bears Hall of Famers, Devin Hester, Steve Mongo McMichael, and Julius Peppers. They make it in. We give our thoughts on that. So, Mercado, take it away. Yeah, and get back to stuff in your fat face, you fat bitch. <laughs> We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. He's the one. He's the only. He's Paul Stravari. And we have three Hall of Fame Chicago Bears going to Cadden. It is Steve Mongo McMichael. It is Julius Peppers, who might be going in as a Carolina Panther, but a lot of love for Julius here in Chicago. And of course, the greatest to ever do it at his position. Number 23, the dynamic Devin Hester, this was an amazing crop of Hall of Fame inductees this year into the Football Hall of Fame. And to see Mongo get in after the fight he is going through with ALS, to see Julius Peppers, who's one of these players who was very underrated and yet still got the love he deserved when it finally mattered the most. And Devin Hester, probably the most controversial inductee because of what he did and what it might have impacted. But there's a lot of conversation to be had. But at the end of the day, we have three new Hall of Famers amongst them, amongst this new class, and three of them play for the Chicago Bears. Before we get into our conversation, why don't we take a quick listen to some of the good highlights some of the big highlights of these three new Hall of Famers. Devin Hester off to our left. He is the deep man about a six-yard line. His average during the season for the All-Pro, 26.4 on 20 returns and two touchdowns with a long of 96, dipping to 15.3 in the playoffs. Ball off to our right. Adam Vinatieri has it on the tee. The Colts in all white. The Bears, navy blue and white. You know, numerals are about ready to go. By the people in the stands, they don't need seats today because they're all standing. Vinatieri on the approach platform. Popping here in Miami. It sails to the far side around the eight-yard line to Hester. Under it and to the middle with the 15 to the 20. Breaks free of the 25 to the 30. To the outside. 40. Midfield. 40. 30 of the Colts. 20. 15. Hester 5. Well, my thought is, Jim, in a big game like this where nerves can be a factor, it's always better to start on defense. So the Colts, maybe it was a a blessing losing the coin toss. This game is brought to you in high-definition television. So the Colts will be kicking away, and there he is, Adam Vinatieri, moving over this year as a free agent. From the Patriots, leaving them as their all-time score, winning two Super Bowls for them in the end. 
and having another spectacular postseason. But Devin Hester, the rookie who was so dangerous, who went to college here at Miami. He led the NFC in both kickoff returns and punt returns. And the Colts have had a hard time all season covering kicks. It's Hester trying to work it back to the middle. Gets past the first wave, and here he goes. It's Hester inside the 30. Hester's going to take it all the way for a touchdown. And no flag, 92 yards. Sacked. And the ball is loose. It was made by Julius Peppers. Pass blocked, and it falls. Did Peppers catch it? Oh, Julius yeah, Pep Peppers it. with the block and the interception. What a play. Third down and three. Vick under pressure from Peppers. Loses the football. And you can't let him come scot-free because he will take your quarterback down. Barb's pass is deflected, and Julius Peppers intercepts it. At the 14-yard line. Here's Urlacher. It's picked up. Javar, the ball's not loose. Touchdown, Chicago. Julius Peppers knocked it away. Luck hit from behind. The ball is picked off. Julius Peppers. Gabbard in trouble. Hit from behind. Lost the football. Julius Peppers, the recovery. And Roethlisberger in trouble, and the ball comes loose again. Peppers comes up with it. Julius Peppers. With an escort to the end zone. Touchdown. Briggs forcing the fumble. Peppers goes in for the touchdown. Stafford looking that way, and it's stripped from behind. And covered up by McClellan. Julius Peppers snuck in behind Stafford and batted it away. The slant is deflected and intercepted by Peppers. Julius Peppers with the tip and the pick. Man, and then a two. Oh, driver. One, two, see ya. Good night, Mr. Guerrero. It's Betty by time. It was the wrong man on the wrong day to pick on a horseman. Listen up, all you wrestlers. Our horsemen are back. And it ain't going to be easy no more. On goes home, Chicago. speaks with that home plate umpire after the game. So, Paulie, a lot of us football heads, right, could talk all day about Peppers. And obviously here in Chicago, if you're a Bears fan or if you're a wrestling fan, if you see him in Romeoville, if you saw him at Rosemont in any of the casinos, if you saw him at Wrigley Field, you always have a story about Mongo. But you and I can have a really fun conversation right now about Devin Hester. And I think there's a lot to dissect. And I think there's a lot of different ways to talk about number 23 now going into the Hall of Fame. I'll let you start off your thoughts on Devin Hester becoming a football Hall of Famer. Well, I think he deserves it completely. A lot of people are, you know, you're saying it's controversial. A lot of people are are saying that he doesn't deserve it because he was just a returner. He's a returner, but, yeah. But I remember as soon as I got into football, you know, way before Devin Hester came around, I remember seeing kickoff returns and punt returns would happen sparingly, and it was always exciting. And you always wished every time your team got kicked to that you could see something special like that. And then Devin Hester comes along. And in his rookie season, makes this immediate impact, wasn't it? The first game against like Green Bay up at Lambeau, he returns a punt. You know, like they end up winning that game through that year. I think he ends up returning a bunch of punts. Rookie of the year, uh, right? Didn't he? Didn't yeah. he? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it was immediate his impact on the game. Ends up breaking the record for most returns. Has some iconic returns, multiple iconic returns. You know, I, I don't want to steal all the thunder, but, you know, uh, was it the Super Bowl? Of course, everyone everyone thinks of. I love the one um, where it was, I, I think, like the wind. No, the, well, that was Vassar, but the, a year later, he kind of did the same thing where it was uh, an errant field goal uh, kick that came up short in the end zone. He retrieved it in the back of the end zone. This was at New York, uh, the Giants on Sunday Night Football. And he kind of like... 
fakes for a second, like he's just like, you know, kind of casually going to walk off the field and then jets all the way down the field, like 107, 108 yards for a touchdown. You know, I think of I think of that. I think of the Monday night football game. The Bears are who we thought they were. I think of I think he had two against St. Louis on an ESPN Monday night game. You know, there's there's a legendary career you're talking about. And I think the best players, the ones that really excited us and changed the game, you know, regardless of the short amount of time that he was on the field or the fact that he never really could make it as as a player on any other part of the field. You know, like uh, Deion Sanders was also a great corner as well as a great return specialist. As much as I never want to give Deion his flowers, he truly was a great coverage corner, not a great tackler, great coverage corner, awesome returner, Hall of Famer, no doubt. Hester is an element of that, but Hester is a way better returner than Dion. So I think that makes up for the fact that Dion was great at other aspects of the game. Hester really was, you know, like, you know, don't kick to this guy, don't kick to this guy. And some of the most stubborn kickers would kick to him and they would pay the price. I mean, we saw it in the Super Bowl. Tony Dungy mm-hmm. was told Jim Nance and everybody in the studio. We were at home screaming. They're not going to kick to him. There's no way there's going to be nope. a touchback. The Bears are going to have to drive down the field in a raining Miami. And we're going to have to see if they could go against a nasty defense and see if they could score points. And whether it was the Eagle, the arrogance, or it was people just scared and saying, no, we're not going to switch up our game. We have to stop them. Eventually, yeah. you have to swing with God, right, yep. in that case. And that might have been it. I want to talk a little bit about this article I found from the Sporting News. This is from Jacob Kamkirk. Devin Hester returns dead. Why ex-Bear star made NFL Hall of Fame history. Devin Hester is going where no NFL return specialist has gone before, to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Hester, who's 41 now, drew consideration for enshrinement in each of the past two off-seasons, but was not chosen. Why? The NFL was not often rewarded players with Hall of Fame status based primarily on their special team contributions. Despite the so-called third phase of the game being important, only four kickers and one punter have made the Hall of Fame. Only two of those kickers, Morden Anderson and Jan Stenward, played the position exclusively, while Ray Guy is the Hall of Fame's lone punter. Now Now Hester will join the crew as a majority of his production throughout his NFL career came as a return specialist. Hester logged a whopping 20 touchdowns as a returner during his NFL career, the most by any player in league history. Most of Hester's special team scores came on punt returns. He logged an NFL record 14 of those, four clear of the second place finisher, Eric Metcalf, who had just 10. Hester also added five kickoff return touchdowns in the regular season and one touchdown return off a missed field goal. Hester was an all pro as a returner three times, led the NFL in punt return touchdowns in three different seasons, 2006, 2007, and 2010. He also led the NFL in kick return touchdowns in both 2006 and in 2011. He returned 315 punts for a total of 3,695 yards and 14 touchdowns. He returned 295 kicks for a total of 7,333 yards with five touchdowns. It's one thing to say kickers. Yeah. Vinatieri, Vanderjack, you name your favorite kicker who's ever done it. Robbie Gold, whoever. And, but you think of them more as field goal guys than place kickers, though. The, you know, guys sure. that are kicking to a guy down the field, right? But my point being is, punting, punt returns have an actual impact straight in the game. It's field position. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen in a punt return. And to me, that is an actual part of the game that changes outcomes, that changes momentum. And for people to use that against Devin Hester, when then they want to use it as these little talking points, as these little data points when it fits their narrative. Devin Hester, anytime he touched the ball outside of kick return, because we know now in the NFL kick return has basically been ruled out. Punting changes outcomes, changes field position. And anytime Devin Hester was on a punt return, he was the most dangerous player on the field. What's harder to do, a punt return or a kick return? A punt return. A punt I, that's return what I think is. too, and he has 14 versus that's five my, kick returns. It's and, like 14 punt returns. So how can the, we talk about this conversation? Was amazing to watch. Metcalf was amazing to watch in his day. Sure. But Hester was way better than Metcalf. And that's my and point. And it was almost more of a given, and it's like he made it look easy. And it's so hard to do both kick returns and punt returns. You can cherry pick this stuff. You can tell us that kicking doesn't matter. The only thing that matters, the punter is more valuable than a kicker. The punter is a real football player. The punter impacts the game. But then you don't want to give the same credit to the dude 
who's returning those punts, changing field position, putting your team in the best position to score, and more often than not, being the most dangerous weapon on your team when it comes to your scoring offense. He's the one that would give the defense enough reprieve because he would take the ball so damn far down the field that the defense didn't have to worry about the offense having the ball at the 40, at the 50. They were getting the ball on the other side, and they were making drives happen. They were putting themselves in field goal position. Devin Hester was responsible for all that. I don't want to hear that he was only one phase. He was only a specialist. He was, though, but he was the phase. He was the phase. He was the offense. There should be an award every year to the best special teams player, and it should be the Devin Hester Award. Whether it's a kicker, a punter, or a return specialist, or a blocker, the best special teams player every year should be the Devin Hester Award winner. And I blame the Chicago Bears for derailing all the momentum and what could have been even more spectacular plays because they didn't want to play just a kick returner and punt returner. They needed to justify whatever contract they wanted by putting him as a wide receiver when they knew that Jake Cutler was not going to be gentle with Devin Hester. Yeah, I don't want to get into that. I I would have liked to see Hester used more as just a return specialist. That's it. I think it's probably for the better that they did because he didn't get injured, you know, doing something stupidly on offense or defense. Remember, he was drafted into this league to be a cornerback. No, yeah, a corner, yeah. And shout and, out to the Hurricanes. He was a killer yeah. at the Hurricanes too, by the way. But wasn't he more of a return specialist so, than a, a return corner specialist? with with the with Miami? But it's just in college, you know, because of the speed. And if he got he his hands on the away, ball, you know what I'm saying? He's taking like, it back to the crib. NFL's big boy time, though. So I, I get it. I get why he didn't fit in other aspects of the game. But that doesn't take away from how important to the game he was. And really, no one has been better before or since to do that. Devin Hester was a key component on a team making a Super Bowl run a NFC championship run. He changed games. He legitimately flipped scores, flipped leads with his own feet. I can't believe that meatball football fans give him less credit on punt returns that he was better at than kick returns. It makes no sense to me. The Bears are not NFC champions in 2006 if Devin Hester's not on that team. Period. End of discussion. End of discussion. That's it. What about Earl? Hester. And if we want to go even What about Briggs? Hester. Now I will say you take you take one player off that team and they don't make it. It's Hester. I do believe Olin Krutz. I do believe Lance Briggs, and I do believe Peanut Tillman should all be Hall of Famers as well. Olin Krutz, best center to ever do it, and the most Pro Bowls in an era of Bears football where they didn't have any offensive representation goes to show how important it was his franchise. Lance Briggs, the anchor of that defense, mm-hmm. the person who called that defense, the one that allowed Brian Urlacher to be as dynamic as he was, and Peanut Tillman, we talk about changing the games, adding to the game, the peanut punch. Any final thoughts, Paulie? Oh, no, I'm with you on that, you know, and you're making me uh, dork out to the Bears, which I used to before the Khalil Mack trade, so that was nice. This uh, seeing all three guys get in was really nice, uh, you know, and that, that made me dork out for Bears fans, especially uh, Mongo. You know, it's so cool to see Mongo get it and, um, you know, well-deserved. Well, it, the NFL season's over. The award season is sort of kicking off. We know our MVP and Lamar Jackson, our comeback player of the year in Joe Flacco, but I want to talk about something. The Bears finally have a win, Marvelous. It's just a, a win from their past. Is Devin Hester... Julius Peppers and Steve McMichael have all are all being inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame here. And I mean, marvelous. Did you really think just seeing the recent Bears we have now, is it kind of a shock to be like, oh man, they had not one, not two, but three guys going to the Hall of Fame this year? Well, I, I think that, you know, Hester and of course McMichael well deserved. I was talking off the air Peppers, but most of it was clear with Carolina, but he was well deserved too. I, I don't even consider him a bear, honestly, myself, but he was there for a few years. <laughs> well, we all know Lovey Smith was outside his door with a contract at midnight the moment he became a free agent, but let's just go on a list. Uh, Marvelous, out of the entire group of the four of us, you're the only one to have seen Mick Michael play, actually. Right. Did you have, Did you see him do the uh, seventh inning stretch at Wrigley Field? I did not. Were you there? Oh, no. But did you hear the ever hear the uh, a replay of it? I have not. No, uh, he was thrown out of the press box by the umpire <laughs> because of of uh, saying things about the umpire uh, in the booth. I'm serious. But as a player, he, he was a master of the midway all the way. And, uh, you know, he was, you know, menacing, intimidating, and, and all that, and scary. So he was a master of the midway, McMichael. 
Well-deserved. And of course, yes, we do talk about Julius Pepper spending a huge amount of time of his career with the Carolina Panthers, you know, whopping seven years there. But he was the Chicago Bears for a good three, four seasons. And I must say, Marvelous, just a guy of that size and that stature really coming into the Lovey Smith defense, something that Chicago used to always be known for, having one heck of a defense. And we're slowly getting there again. It's just kind of nice to see, you know, this is what we're doing here. We're taking some guys that, you know, we're going to claim for a hot minute. Absolutely. You know, I hate to do this, but <laughs> you play one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years in Carolina, then one, two, three, four in Chicago, three in Green Bay, and two in Carolina, eight plus two being 10. But whatever. I'm just a math major. No, he he was great. and I mean, in some in, in some seasons, he was unbelievable. I mean, he would get... Uh, He'd have inter- you know, he'd do, do a few interceptions, but his his a, a sacks, he had, you know, averaged double digits in several years, you know, most of his career, you know, 11, 10 and a half, 14 and a half. I mean, just amazing stats in terms of that. I wish we had somebody like that now. Uh, I thought Sweat might be like that, but never mind. Uh, so Pepper's definitely from 2011, uh, 2010, 11, 12, 13, he was a bear. And he played in, you know, a, 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 a lot of their games. And, uh, had a tremendous amount of solo tackles. I mean, for example, in, in 2010, he had uh, 50, can you believe this? 54 uh, of which uh, 43 were solo tackles. Just amazing. Um, so he does, he's well-deserving. Uh, he'll probably wear, do they wear helmets like they do caps in baseball? They'll wear a Panthers helmet, but he did play for the Bears from 10, 11, 12, and 13. And then, of course, we had Devin Hester, who a lot of guys were iffy about because he was, let's be real here, Marvelous, he's not the top wide receiver everyone wants. He was the kick returner and the punt returner. Devin Hester, you are ridiculous. Set the record. And just one of those things that you always are iffy about. But it's just definitely nice to see that, you know, the Bears finally have a win of some sort after having, gosh, how many losing seasons in a row now? Four? And yes, the Bears were in a Super Bowl, Super Bowl 41. And uh, and the opening kickoff, I probably that's that was that was a main factor. It was like one of the best in terms of kickoff returns. I obviously, you know, they tried to sort of incorporate him in the offense. I remember a couple times, but he was mostly a defensive guy and terrific, terrific uh, kickoff returner. You know, one of the best in, in statistically in history. I mean, definitely that's the thing. You know, Devin Hester was one of those guys who kind of came in here as a, on the special teams unit and just really lit it up. I mean. We all can say that that 2006 Bears team was probably the best Bears team we've seen in, well, since the 85 Bears. Let's be real here. <laughs> Absolutely. This is true. And, uh, you know, they, they, so they, they, they had two Super Bowls in the, you know, in the last, uh, yeah, what, about 40, <laughs> 40 plus years. So pretty good. Pretty, they're due for another one, don't you think? Every 20 years. Uh, so, yeah, we're coming up there again. So give it time. Maybe we'll see them do that with whoever the quarterback might be. But huge honors, you know, I mean, to, you know, Devin Hester, Steve McMichael. I wish, you know, Steve McMichael was in a better physical state right now, but he's surrounded by so many that cared with him in this. And Julius Peppers here. And just we got not one, not two, but three, you know, who who gives a you know what about the teams they played for before this marvel marvelous. They've Absolutely. definitely made it work here. I just got yeah, a question. I mean, like, do you think there's who do you think is gonna be the next Chicago Bears player to be inducted, uh, former or current Bears player to be inducted in the Hall of Fame? Wow, Khalil Mack? No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of somebody that that's like a lock. I, I, I yeah, that's tough to really say at this point. But uh, oh, it's probably it's probably gonna be Justin Fields <laughs> in a Raiders uniform. Watch. Right. I, I have no idea. I'll I'll throw that one back at you. <laughs> what, what do you think? That's a hard one because there's. So, I'm with you, Marvelous. There's so many yeah. years of mediocrity that it's really hard to figure out who the Bears' next Hall of Famer should be. It should be Chicago Bears fans for all the BS mm-hmm. we put up with through all the years and seasons and Bears shooting yeah. themselves in the right. foot. You know, quickly back to McMichael. Here's the thing that's amazing. He, you know, he played all 16 games in most of his career. I mean, he started with, with the Bears in '82 and he ended in '93 with the Bears. Did one year in Green Bay, believe it or not. But I mean, he played almost every uh, every game of every season, and you know he was a he had a lot of sacks. You know, he, he, his top year was eleven and a half and eighty eight. But uh, he was just menacing. He had that, that Mongo look, you know, that he uh, with the nickname that he uh, incorporated. So um, you know, I, I I wasn't sure he'd get in honestly, but 
it's, it's wonderful that uh, he can and uh, hopefully he's able to appreciate it, which is the concern, of course, with his current medical condition. I agree with you, Marvelous. You know, we got another 85 Chicago Bears Super Bowl winner in the Hall of Fame. I hope they can do something for him somehow to get him to, you know, at least see the nice little uh, bust that they're going to give him down there at the NFL Hall of Fame. But this is it, guys. We got not one, not two, but three. Devin Hester, Stephen Michael, and Julius Peppers all being inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. Something that I don't know if anyone on the current Chicago Bears roster will ever be able to do for the Marvels one Dan Marver for Palacios one Paul Shivari Mike Mercado needs a nickname I'm Devin Tangle keep on listening to Sports Cubicle y'all on goes home Chicago and don't worry I'll have a I'll have some speaks with that home plate umpire after the game rolling here on the sports cubicle i'm your host mike mercado i'm with the one the only paul shivari and this segment is a really cool one it is something that's near and dear to our hearts because our conversation was with some local awesome people paulie what do we have in store for everybody around the water cooler well we have two guests today they're both uh table tennis players that are going to be competing next week in south korea for the 2024 ittf world team table tennis championships uh, they're brothers, and they're also local to Chicago. We've got Sid Naresh and his brother, Nandan Naresh. Uh, guys, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Hi, we're doing great. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, it, it's neat because we have a few different time zones here. We, you know, we've got uh, Nandan on the West Coast, uh, Sid over in Europe right now. So thank you so much for, for being here. Um, truly, truly thankful. Um, so you're gearing up for the World Championships coming up here how does it feel to be competing as teammates this time around instead of against each other, which seems to be happening a lot lately? For me, at least, uh, it feels really good to have him as a teammate instead of an opponent because the last few times uh, things haven't gone my way. But yeah, I think him on the bench and like supporting me when we play is like really good and always training with each other, talking about matches, how we're going to play against certain opponents is always great. So I really enjoy having him as my teammate. And also the aspect of traveling to new countries with him and, yeah, just enjoying the experience. So for me, I'm very excited to go to South Korea to compete. Same question, Nandan? Uh, yeah. I mean, I like playing him, but um, it's also very fun to compete on a team. We've done it a few times, like, throughout our career. And, yeah, I'm excited to do it once again. And how does it feel to be representing the United States uh, this time around? I mean, I know you did it in the Pan American Games, but to do it on the world stage, um, what's that like to to represent the United States? It's always like a very proud feeling for me. And um, yeah, I really enjoy it. And to represent Team USA as a whole, it's just really honoring. Sid, this is really interesting because I have two younger brothers and we're all within a year and a half of each other. And all throughout high school, it was constant competition all the way up through varsity and everything afterwards. Right. Whether it's dumb fantasy football all the way to any bar games that you can play. But you guys actually have some stakes whenever you guys go against one another. For you, what is it like? And then Nandan, same for you. What is it for you guys when you're sitting there and you're mentally you're preparing you've done all the physical things you've had to you've done all the studies you did for for the matchup mentally but knowing that you're going against the one person that knows all the x factors that knows all the tendencies that knows all the tells what is it for you is it one of those things like a awesome you know dark souls bloodborne type of thing where i'm going against the best bad guy and i'm going to get the most xp i can from this one or is it more frustrating or is it more entertaining for you said what is what is that like that match of going against your brother yeah i think um the last few times going into the match i kind of put a little bit too much pressure on myself i feel sometimes i found myself in the matches like uh, overthinking or getting a little bit stressed out but yeah, after watching them and um, kind of reviewing, I think that now in the future, 
I'm going to go into all the matches against them, trying to enjoy the experience a little bit more and just trying to play my best. Because, yeah, like how you said, we both know each other's games, like really like down to every single little detail. So really what it comes down to is who's there and like who's more present in the moment. Because really when we play in training, it's always 50-50. So I think, yeah, also in the matches, I also have to kind of sometimes let the result go and just try to enjoy the experience and yeah, be in the present. Yeah, sometimes it does get pretty frustrating and it's pretty easy to use the excuse like, oh, like they know me so well, like he just knows like everything I do. But then I just think whoever's better mentally on that day normally comes comes out with the win. So I want to bounce off that and I'll start with you then. It's funny when we talk to the our, our, some of our favorite athletes, hometown or from abroad, and we get a chance to kind of dissect what it's like day in and day out. And for you guys, I think this is one of these moments where we can really talk to our people. Actually, our people, everybody here around the cooler, here in the Chicago, Chicagoland area of the training, the regimen that goes into this physically. How often are you guys at the gym? Not just practice. Not just the practice and the skills that it takes day in and day out to build a routine, but you're actually doing the cardiovascular work. You're building your muscles. You're building your brain. How much off the court, off the practice training goes on for you guys on a day-to-day basis that is just as equivalent to some of our, our premier athletes that we have at all the other games that represent the United States? It's, it's a lot more than people would expect. Like Most people have the image of table tennis as like a basement hobby, basement sport. But, like, if you really watch the top level, there's a lot of physical demand. And for me, I try to do, like, something physically to, like, help benefit my table tennis game around four to five times a week. And a lot of it's, like, balance, core strength, and footwork. So, yeah, around four to five times a week, I'm in the gym. Or sometimes you can just do it by yourself home somewhere. With this tournament coming up, it... it appears that if you get into the quarterfinals that the team can qualify for the Olympics. What does that mean for you guys uh, qualifying for the Olympics? Is that like a dream that's, that's been there for you? I think, yeah, ever since I was a little kid, like that's, I think for every athlete, like qualifying for the Olympics is probably like the highest status you could achieve in like that kind of experience from what other players have told me is like really like once in a lifetime and truly unbelievable. So I think, yeah, here in South Korea, we're, um, yeah, going to try fight our hardest to make the quarterfinals because this would be yeah um, an unbelievable result for Team USA. And also, especially in this Olympic year, it would be super important for us to help qualify as a team. Zed, I want to ask you because I think your brother gave a great answer of what goes on off the court and trying to make sure that you're building your body and your mind, not just on day in and day in practice, but you've seen a lot now, right? You you've done the travels and you played a lot of big time games. And there's a lot of wisdom that you're going to be putting on to the next generation. When after your career long, long time from now, but you're kind of one of these dudes who's breaking ground as the oldest in this situation. And I think what's fun about what we're talking about here is the off the court stuff, but what is something that you've learned that you did not think, through your travels that you were going to learn? Was it how popular the sport is around the world? Was it how many different type of techniques have been discovered and have been mastered over the years? What is something that you've learned that has really evolved your game that you didn't expect over the last few years? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think one of the biggest things over the last few years that's helped me kind of develop and improve my game is kind of realizing how much of the game is like played with your uh, legs and body. Like from an outside perspective, you think a lot of it is like with your shoulder, arm, like wrist. And those are also very important. But one thing that, especially in like the last few months, like that I've been like learning a lot about is how like the power and stuff comes from really like your legs, your core, the body, like using the power from the ground and your arm is kind of like as a guide to the ball. But yeah, so I feel technically that's definitely one of the biggest things that I've been working on recently and yeah actually because in the u.s table tennis is not so popular i always thought kind of growing up that yeah like not many people like watching it and it's kind of like kind of a very small sport and which in the u.s that's partly true but outside like here in germany or even in december of 2023 when Nanda and i were in china like the stadium was completely packed whenever team china was playing and it was really cool just to see how like different like different cultures and different countries treat table tennis and how popular and really like the fans are super into it in different countries. So that was also a pretty eye-opening experience for me. 
I want both you guys to answer this. So I'll start with uh, Nanda, and I think we'll go with you first. So you guys are growing up in the TikTok era, right? Like, you know, Paul and I are on social media. We have to be because of of work. And, you know, obviously there's mm -hmm. entertainment. There's really cool stuff you can see, especially if you're a sneakerhead or if you like watching clips, whatever, right? But for you guys, yeah. when you're watching kind of the world that is so big becomes so small because it's in the palm of your hand, how often do you catch yourself cat finding something and putting it in the back of your head? It's like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't think of that. Oh, that was an interesting point. That's an interesting technique. How often are you using Instagram Reels or TikTok? How yeah. often are you taking things that you see there from your feed and you're utilizing it or putting it in the back of your head as a potential weapon or something that you could kind of use against somebody in this day and age where it's so accessible in the palm of your hand? Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, I guess this isn't particularly a good thing, but I'm on TikTok quite a lot. And um, yeah, especially in the table tennis side of TikTok, there's like a lot of people who go viral. They're doing new things, new trick shots, new serves, whatever it is. But it's always something new, Other, and that's why it's blowing up. So yeah, I always think to myself that it's a pretty cool thing. And even for stuff like outside of table tennis, like whatever recipes, whatnot, it's always, you know, it can always go to the back of my head and I always store it there. Sid, same for you. Like in that situation, right? Like you're seeing how fast things are moving. Are you able to keep up and, and grab some of these things to put in your utility belt like Batman? Or is it more something like you're using it for enjoyment and sometimes you're able to grab something and you're able actually to use it and run with it? Yeah, I feel like actually most of the times I'm watching table tennis videos, even if it's just like a snort, like short snippet on Instagram or TikTok, I feel like being able to like visualize and model players, especially like, the best in the world is so important. So for my game, like a lot of times I'll choose one or two shots for that like one player who I look up to or like one of the best in the world. And oftentimes like I see them so much on Instagram, like reels or on TikTok. So when I'm able to watch it, I feel like it helps me get a better understanding of like, especially different angles, like slow motions, just kind of seeing how exactly their body works and like how their mind works just to be able to play these shots. So for me, actually, I feel it's, such a great tool to be able to watch this because I feel before when you could only watch like in person, it's was more limited, but now any match that's like playing at the highest level, I can watch on YouTube. So for different players with different strategies and different techniques, I feel it's like really unbelievable that I'm able to watch all of this and learn from it. So I enjoyed a lot. All right. I got to ask about, you guys have played a lot of matches officially against each other. I want to know about the unofficial matches against each other, the basement battles. Uh, tell me a little bit about those and how that's influenced you uh, then and now. Um, we'll start with uh, Nandan, which I'll say in the storyline of both of you, Sid leads all time, but lately uh, Nandan's had Sid in the last couple of meetings. And I, I want to hear how, you know, these epic battles that we don't know about affect the battles that we do know about. In the basement, things would get really heated. It was like... Yeah, we would play there every during COVID every day. And I hated doing drills during that point of time. So I just said, like, okay, let's play a match, and then I'll finish. And then every time, we would just keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. And eventually, I would get really mad. I would be losing, especially during the COVID time. I would always lose. And um, then I would leave, storm upstairs. And then <laughs> the next <laughs> same thing, lose, go back upstairs. But, yeah, I mean, I guess – when we used to play in the basement, yeah, he would always he would always beat me. Yeah, I think especially yeah, the one memory that comes back to mind is like basically 2020 when our club was closed. We were playing almost every day with just with each other. And um, in our basement, it's like much smaller than uh, a regular hall. So the ball moves a lot faster because of the air pressure. So in the basement, like I felt like I could play unbelievable. Like every ball I hit just felt like a rocket. So I felt um, when playing him, like we had some unbelievable points. So for me, it was always great. And especially in 2020 and COVID when many players couldn't practice, it was always so much fun for me being able to still train and especially with a good player. Like, cause even at that time, yeah, most of the time I was winning, but still it was similar level. So, and I think that was really when we both started to, to develop and kind of improve so that we could start playing like on the men's national team level. So I think those few months and those, um, Basement battles are very important in the uh, developmental stages of our game.
Polly, I got back to back, but I wanted to start with this one, okay? Because Sid, you just piqued my interest about air pressure. You know, in other <laughs> sports, it's so commonplace to talk about X factors, right? Like whether or not it's it's how the wind is gusting in golf or football, all this other stuff, right? All the X factors. You just said air pressure. What is something that would surprise people that you guys have to keep in mind in the middle of a match that nobody would even think would be something that you would have to keep in mind while you're in a world championship matchup and oh maybe your brother's the guy across from you doing it yeah oh man i could go on for a long time about this but table tennis is so precise it's unbelievable like every the tables are all different the balls like different brands so always going into a tournament we always get there like two or three days ahead so we can warm up in the hall because there are many different table tennis brands which produce tables and balls and some tables are slower than others. Some tables bounce higher. Some t- like slide a little bit. And also with the ball, some are lighter. Some are a little bit heavier. Some produce a little bit more spin. Some less. So I think going early and adjusting to these balls, especially for big events like World Championships, and also for the trials for these World Championships, me and my brother would always go a few days ahead just so we can feel the hall, feel the ball a little bit better. Because that's something also you don't really see from the outside. But especially these players at the highest level, like. They're practicing with this ball and this table like months ahead of the tournament just so that when they get to the table and when they're nervous, they can perform because even just a millisecond too late or like a millimeter too high and you can make a mistake. So these kind of details are really, I think, what separates like the best of the best. Now, Dan, I want you to answer this one and then Sid, uh, right after he does, I want you to jump in too because when I hear you guys talk about this, you guys are students of the game. You guys are well-spoken. You guys are great represents representatives of not just the state of Illinois, not just the Chicago land area, but the sport itself. And I think it goes to show not just the the culture you guys have at home, but also who you emulate your style on and off the court. And I want to ask you, are you guys sports fans? So if you are, what is an athlete that you really, in any sport, not just let's just take it away from the, the, the sport that you guys are so great at, but whether it's the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, international soccer, whatever it may be, what is an athlete that really inspires you outside of your core circle that's already done such a great job that really motivates you or puts you in a mindset to continue on the grind? Uh, Nanda, I'll start with you. I'm not sure if I really have someone like that. I kind of try to compare myself to myself from like a year ago or like even like yesterday to try to keep pushing myself further and further. I guess, yeah, I don't really have someone that I specifically look up to in a different sport. Say, before we jump into you, I want to let's let's dig into that for just a second. Where did you get that mindset from? Where where was that installed? Because I think that's a very I think both you guys have that built in you where it is to continue to try to get better and better every single day. But where at such young ages for both of you, where did that come from? I think. Most of it was just from a lot of the our peers around us. I feel like coming like when we both were very young and our parents as well, that we had like a really good environment that were like always supporting us, like parents, coaches, like other training partners. And I felt like that kind of support motivates me to like try to do better, try to continue improving, try to like get my best every single training, every single match. So I think that's a big part of it. And once I started winning and gaining more and more confidence is kind of like like the snowball. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So I think right now, how I feel like the love for the game, the passion, and how I fight for every single point when I play, I think it's kind of, um, yeah, like a show of all the work that not only me, but my coaches, my parents, my training partners have all put in. So that's why I want to keep fighting to keep getting better and my motivation. We'll bring it home here and uh, let these uh, young men uh, get uh, bedtime for uh, Sid over on the other side of the world <laughs> and uh, nod down and trained for this uh, this world championships but um so great to have you guys here and um you know good luck in South Korea and and please you know come back let us know how it was um you know we'd like to keep up with you guys as uh, you know your quest especially if you guys make the Olympics we'd love to uh to have you got on again and talk about that Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. And yeah, you guys have some great questions. So thank you guys. We thank appreciate you. it. You know what? Before we let you go, how often do you get a chance to say hello and, and a shout out to your your home, the people of your home? So, you know, each of you guys, uh, Sid, we'll start with you. What uh, Any final thoughts on the sport, any shout outs, anything to your people here in Chicago? Go ahead, buddy. It's You've earned it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Thank you to all my coaches in Chicago, Coach Yichi, and to the club that I was brought up in in Addison uh exterior table tennis yeah thank you guys so much and yeah every step of the way i'm always thinking about you guys i'm very grateful for all the work and effort that you have um put into making me the player that i am today 
So and thank so, you guys so much. And Sid, do you have any social medias you want to plug? On Instagram, it's at just Sid Naresh. Now, now, now is your turn, my boy. Let's yeah. do this. Give the shout outs. Give me your social medias. Do it all to the people of Chicago. Let's go. Yeah, so mine also, Xperia for sure. I remember I was like 9, 10, until like, yeah, 13, 14. I would just be there every day playing league with like some of the older guys. And they would all like, it would all kind of hype me up, even though I was like barely above the table. So yeah, that was like a huge part of what brought me here today. So shout out to them. And your and your uh, social media so the people can follow you during this oh, journey? Nandan Naresh. Kick ass in these games coming up. We got more coming up next here on the Sports Cubicle. He's Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado. While we are all getting hyped, excited, planning our meals, and where we'll be watching Super Bowl 58 this coming Sunday, we also know that a huge event is on the horizon. We'll be taking over football stadiums in the summer of 2026, and that is the FIFA World Cup. It will be here in the good old United States, and some stadiums have been announced where we will see the opening game and the championship game. I'm Mike Mercado, the host of the Sports Cubicle with the one and only Paul Shivari. Paulie, this is something that we're really excited about stadiums have been built we're going to see how the infrastructure stays we're going to see how these cities respond but the fifa world cup has two major games in the united states that we've highlighted that really piqued our interest what is this that's going to happen in the summer of 2026 all right well we know that the first game played in the whole tournament is going to be at uh estadio azteca in mexico city where team mexico is going to be the uh the host of that that game and uh which you know they, they try to do that you know team mexico is going to play i think two out of its three games in at, mexico in mexico yeah. and then i think canada does all three in Canada, and then the or maybe it's all three that Mexico's playing, but the host countries, the the three host countries are going to play their home games in the the group stage in their host country, and then I think the United States gets the majority of the games from then, including every quarterfinal game on. We know that the final is going to be at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, near New York City. Uh, we knew that it was going to be either that one, AT and T Stadium in Dallas, and then SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles uh, bowed out. But SoFi is going to host the first Team USA game. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll I list off all the the stadiums here just so everyone knows where they're being played now that it's been limited. So BC Place in Vancouver, Lumen Field in Seattle, Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California, SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, Estadio Akron in Guadalajara, Mexico, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, NRG Stadium in Houston, Estadio BBVA in Monterrey, Mexico, Estadio Azteca in Mexico City, Mexico, BMO Field in Toronto, Canada, Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts, Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, and MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. So is there any part of you that, let's take away... I wanted it to be in New York. I thought New York should have been a better final than than Dallas. And what about Chicago not being there? Obviously, the stadium is a big thing. It, what would it mean stadium, to you? Yeah. I mean, well, it already happened in 94, and, and Soldier Field had the opening ceremonies and the, the first game. So that, that sort of pride has already been a part of my life. I mean, I think that'd be different for you because you were very young Four when that old, happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember, you know, being... I think I was like 12 at the time that it that it came around. I was excited, but not enough to pop on the opening ceremonies. I've never been like, you know, big opening and closing ceremonies guy. But I love the tournament itself. So, I mean, I'll watch as many of these games as I humanly possibly can. It would have been nice to have one in Chicago because I think regardless of the teams in town, I would have at least attended one match just to say you were there. that I did. Yep. But at the same time, I'm, now maybe this is an excuse to go to Kansas City or a different stadium that I've never seen before. I've been to Soldier Field, but, but also I... I think this is something too that for the city of Chicago oh man it'd be great if we had the Olympics oh man it'd be great if we had the World Cup the Super Bowl it's like well we all know what you need to do to do that and right now you're at the crossroads where you can figure out how to make that happen still dragging your feet yeah still dragging your feet talking about Arlington Heights and the lakefront and all that and and the the South parking lots yeah and and, and the uh, yeah the the infrastructure of this city kind of hampers that because they never planned on this a long time ago. You know, you look at a, a city like Philadelphia, as much as people want to rip it, they have a whole section of town dedicated to stadiums, yeah. and when they need a new stadium, they knock one down and they build one on, on that same lot. And they've done it for years, so Chicago doesn't have that luxury, and Chicago's infrastructure is messed up, which you know, I always thought it was dumb that Soldier Field is right in between a lake and a highway, yeah. and now they're talking about putting another one in an even bigger stadium, a world-class stadium right by there. I, I mean, that that's going to have to, I think, change Lakeshore 
Drive or DuSable Lakeshore Drive, uh, which, you know, that uh, changing the name of Lakeshore Drive was already rough for some people. So how are you going to change the the uh, the layout? Oh, or, man. You know, I, I couldn't imagine. I'm not old enough to remember when there was like those 90 degree S turns back oh, yeah, in the day, no, no. how much like that must have messed people up, you know, when uh, when they finally built it and made it, you know, curvier. And so, so I don't know. I think I think if Chicago wants to catch up to this, there's a lot that Chicago needs to do. This isn't really where the conversation is going. Though. But it's com- part of it for a Chicago. Yeah, yeah for like, Chicago. Yeah. yeah, this is the conversation. But um, I'm excited about the World Cup. I know with the expanded tournament and the fact that it's in the U.S. and the the split um, uh, hosts kind of rubs some people the wrong way, but I think you're going to have an exciting tournament. Uh, we already saw Messi win his in Qatar, so I don't know at this point what the manufactured storyline of the tournament would be. Maybe Brazil wins on U.S. soil once again. Maybe yeah. a European club wins yeah. or European team wins on soil. And it'll be Team USA, what they do. Yeah, will Team, the big, yeah. Will the team USA make it deep in yeah. the, the knockout phases? Yeah. Morocco in 2022 was the first non-European or non-South American team to make it to the semifinals. That's interesting. Which is crazy. So I think that could be a factor. You know, will we see a uh, CONCACAF team, you know, like U.S., Mexico, uh, Canada in a semifinal? Or will we see an Asian club or an African club? Or, you know, what what are we going to see in this tournament that's going to be different? We think the second, third market, fourth market, everything will be for ticket prices. Oh gosh! Um, like, without guessing the actual number, but like kind of feeling the vibes and knowing that this is a spectacle, especially in the United States by 2026. Like, I'm sure it's going to be, let's just say, affordable in the group stages, especially with the expanded. You know, because it could end up being like um, Romania versus Iceland. I'm just right, picking right, two right, teams, right, right. you know, and it's yeah. like, all right, th- that's not a hot ticket. So if you want to take the fam, expect to spend about five hundred dollars for four tickets. But, you know, if you're lucky to get face value and yeah. sit in the nosebleeds. Secondary market, though, I could see the cheapest ticket for the final yeah. being at least fifteen hundred dollars, at least, at least. The Super Bowl this week is uh, like two thousand dollars, I think, for the cheapest ticket. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm just guessing it's probably going to be more. It'll probably be more than what the Super Bowl is for the cheapest ticket. I don't know how much it's going to be. I don't know which clubs are going to, you know, which followings are going to have uh, bigger, you know, because it's like with Mexico playing in Mexico, that kind of, you know, because you know Mexico travels well. Oh, Mexico, I was in Vegas in, when the, I saw it personally. In, 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 yeah. in uh, Qatar, yeah. you know, like they, they had a, a huge following. Yeah. So that might make a difference. But of course, if Mexico advances to the knockout round, then there's going to be more games in the United States, lots of Mexican fans in the United States. So that's going to be a hot ticket. You know, of course, Team USA is going to be a hot ticket. Canada may or may not be a hot ticket. Brazil, Italy, France, Germany, um, Argentina. I don't think Messi's going to play in 2026, but we don't know. He might. He might. That might be the the final go around. Um, and you might have a better chance of seeing him in the World Cup than you do in the MLS, based on how, how expensive some of these tickets are. But but regardless, it's going to be a fun tournament. I'm excited for it. Uh, may the best team win, and uh, let's have a safe and happy World Cup in 2026. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Sports Cubicle. For Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, and Dan Marver, I am Paul Shavari. Thank you for listening. We are on WCPT 820 as well as 1240 AM at night. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. You can find us on YouTube at the Sports Cubicle. So long, everybody. We will see you next week. Richard Chu starts your week. Here's your Pepto-Bismol, Paul. Paul.